Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Nothing is more fundamental than food and shelter. Ann Newman, Executive Director of Transition House, will speak candidly about the homeless situation. While there are those people sleeping rough in parks and public spaces, Newman says Transition House has empty beds. I'm so pleased to have with me today Ann Newman, the Executive Director of Transition House. Welcome back to Consider This. Thanks. Glad to be here. There's a question that keeps coming up about when people are talking about homeless people sleeping in the rough these last few days. When they are evicted, where do they go? That's the question they keep asking. So I want to know from you, how would you answer that question? Well, I think there is, it's one of those situations where you have to look at each individual case because there's various forms of evictions that we've seen. So we have recently seen a fire in Port Hope that's led people needing housing support. We have seen seniors through the help center experience evictions because of renovations or landlords assuming the residents and they're, they don't have a lot of time to leave and they can't um, necessarily find another place with their income. And then we have people who maybe are homeless and aren't fitting into the current system that we have here. So to me, in all cases, they go to our coordinated access through Transition House, which is the first point of entry for anything. So they call Transition House. It's, it's kind of old school. You can call, you can show up in person. And the first thing that we do is we provide diversion. So that means that when people find themselves in this position, it's extremely stressful. And I've noticed this in my own life. If I'm really overwhelmed with stress, I might not be thinking clearly. So the diversion is helping people understand the options they already have um, as available to them that they might not have thought of. Like, do you have, oh, I have a brother in Ottawa. um, And my brother says I could stay there if only I had my own bed and I can contribute to groceries. Well, we can make that happen through the diversion. So our goal in diversion I think is to avoid entering a shelter if there's any other option. The other thing is, if you are in a tenancy and you have a lease, that is not necessarily access into shelter. That would be going to the help center to get, or the legal center to get some legal assistance on, you know, evictions. And then when it became to the situation where you found yourself having no shelter back through the coordinated access to get shelter. Now, one of the things that's different in transition house as of April 1st this year is that we 
provide the family diversion program, which means that families who are experiencing homelessness also go through that coordinated access and we support them too. I think though in this past week or in these past few weeks, the focus has really been on people sleeping in the rough, people living in parks or public spaces. There's been a number of complaints. The bylaw enforcement is, is moving them on. And of course, the question, again, it comes up the same question is where do they go? And I guess I'd like to better understand, or I think the listener might better understand, where do they go? How do you answer that from your perspective at Transition House? I have to admit, I've noticed um, a little bit of a difference since our warming room closed. I know that it was there for temperature reasons, but I do feel that um, when it closed on April 30th, it did displace some people who don't necessarily fit into the current system that we have here. So there are people that are choosing not to access housing. There are people who maybe um, experience service restrictions from transition house, because as you know, we're, we, we do have to do that at times if we're managing the good of the whole and occupational health and safety, et cetera. So there's some people that might not fit into this congregate setting And what the warming room did was it had another place for those who didn't fit. There was a place to go. If we're working with police and police found someone who needed shelter, there was a place to go. And the congregate setting rules were a lot different there because it was only night. And many of the people that had experienced service restrictions were fine there. So when we would implement a service restriction, we could say, you can go there tonight. So it was it was really great. It was a COVID response. So there's not ongoing funding for this. Um, and I think that's a big issue is the amount of resources that we have. Um, but it did, I've noticed it has displaced a few that might not fit with what we have now. Okay, there's, there's a lot in there I'd like to unpack. So first of all, um, Let's talk about warming rooms. So people will understand what a warming room is and how does it function and what services does it provide? Well, we were doing it for temperature reasons, and that's where we got the the support through the social services relief fund to do it for the last two years. But essentially what it provided was a space for people to access outside of the actual system. So, um, no, no, let's, let's break it even down more simply. I I appreciate your technical and your knowledge and your expertise, (laughs) but I want to break it down a little more simply. I mean, the name almost explains it, but it it was meant to be a refuge from the cold for people who couldn't find any other shelter. Am I understanding that correct? Yes. So, So that was its purpose, but they couldn't sleep there. There might be a coffee pot. You might be able to talk to somebody, but you're really not. It, it, it you can't go in and sleep there. There's no beds. There's nothing no. like that. No, um, it is a holding space. Um, people do rest, a resting space. I would say, 
Um, and there is, you know, snacks and coffee, et cetera, washroom. I wish there was a shower, but there wasn't. Um, and there's also support for harm reduction. I mean, that's a, that's a big piece, um, you know, to be able to um, access a space where you're not alone if you're experiencing drug poisoning, et cetera. So we were able to support people with clean supply as well as be there if anything kind of went wrong. I was going to be my next question was what is what is harm reduction because uh, you know that it's it's kind of a a technical term but you you mentioned a, a safe space so it, it's not a place where people go and take drugs no i would say that's a safe injection site um it's not and transition house does not ever in any program support the use of illegal substances on site um however harm reduction is the fact that we know that this happens. We know this is happening. And just because you want to enter a shelter and someone says, well, you shouldn't be doing that, that doesn't mean the person's gonna just stop doing it. So if people are going to, and they're human beings and we wanna meet them where they're at, let's help you do it safe. Let's provide um, sterile supplies to avoid sharing. Um, any potential bloodborne illnesses, et cetera. But let's also teach and, and provide Narcan if the situation goes to a dangerous place. So it's about meeting people where they're at and, and providing the care they need in the moment versus making a rule and then not allowing access based on that rule. Now, another thing you talked about in your statement was people not fitting I'd like to explore that a little bit more because what, what does that mean? What does it mean when somebody doesn't fit? And you alluded to mental health a bit. And so can you explain that for us, please? Um, well, we've had people come to us that are not happy in their current place um, of residence and they actually have a lease and they can stay there. That would be ineligible for shelter. So in that case, you could definitely go to the warming room in the evening if you needed to get away. But you, in the intake process of the shelter, we would probably be looking at supporting you through the legal center to resolve your issue versus entering into homelessness, right? So that's someone who's not quote eligible for our services. But there's also people that actually say, I'm not comfortable in that environment. I do not enjoy congregate settings. I have issue with so-and-so that is staying there now. Um, so there's many reasons why people might, this might not be the solution for them. And it really is individual. So what happens to those people? Well, at the time of the warming room, that's what would have happened. You know, we, we would let people know about that. We would give them resources. Um, but that's what would happen. I mean, we're definitely not... We don't have all areas covered, that's for sure, with the, with the issue of homelessness. So to go back to my original scenario then, and so we're clear, those people who are sleeping in public parks and in public spaces, when we ask them the question, you know, we evict them, the question is, where do they go? What then, in, now that you've told us all this, what then is the option? Is there an option? Well, they can no. come to Transition House and we will do our best to find a solution. 
where the gap is, is we may not be the solution for everyone. And in that case, there's a gap. How would you define that gap? Wow. What is it that we need that, that's missing? Well, I say this often, and it's one of those things that this is an Ann Newman opinion versus a transition house opinion. This is capitalism affecting our community. It's raising rents and low wages and increasing costs with gas and groceries, et cetera. You're seeing the impact of that. So this is bigger than Coburg. This is bigger than Canada. This is global. Um, I get uh, alerts to my email every day about homelessness all around the world. So this, this is a national issue, at least, not just Coburg. Um, and I really believe in hubs and coordinated access because what, what is that wait, wait 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 what is hubs and what's coordinated access what is that well it's first of all we have a lot of resource in this community we have a lot of organizations we have committed people we do have funding in some sorts and to to somehow collaborate um and share those supports for the needs of the clients, I think would be the way to go. So let's just say in, in my vision, I see a, a new built um, that is not quote, a congregate setting that offers different areas of the continu housing continuum to people. So you can come to this place and go through coordinated access. And maybe you're going to go to a place that's like the warming room. Maybe you're going to go to a place that's like temporary shelter, transition house. Maybe you're going to go through family diversion, or maybe you're going to head off and work with another organization because there are other organizations such as victim services um, that and children's aid at times that do provide housing options if you're Connected. Is there any place like that currently anywhere? I think hubs, and by the way, in the hub, you bring the medical there. So we don't need transportation to, to get people to doctors. Doctors are coming in because we know homelessness is a healthcare issue. And that's a missing component here of, of how we provide services. How can you make people healthy and sustainable when they're not accessing healthcare consistently? So if you look at other environments, like um, I'm from Toronto, so there's hubs everywhere. So employment services, you're going to have a hub, you're going to walk into one place, you're going to go over to this organization over here. And when you're done with that, you're going to go to this organization over here, and they share back office functions and they collaborate. But, but what about homeless? Is there a, a this vision you have? Is there anywhere else that deals with homelessness that has this hub model? I think the closest I've ever seen is BC, you know, like if you look to BC, I really feel they have, they have really empowered a harm reduction approach and um, the humanity involved in providing services. And they've, they've made it truly low barrier access. And um, if I'm to look at what I would like to replicate, it would be how they provided BC. Now, I wouldn't say it's the actual hub that I have in my head, but I would say that they have medical coming in. They have people being taken care of. They're not expected to travel all over the place to access anything. And they are being met where they're at with service provision. Have you ever expressed this to anybody in authority? 
I'm always expressing everything to everyone all the time. So, you know, right now, what but have I'm, you said? That, have you said this to the county, to your, to the superior, your superiors at the county? I have, and I've also talked about it because I was really excited about the Ontario Health Team, um, how they were consulting so many people and organizations and the whole community, from what I see, on vision, and I see such alignment and opportunity. So I am very vocal. I've said it I've said it to anyone that will listen and I will continue to say it because I believe in the secret. So if I keep saying it, maybe this vision is going to happen. Now let's, let's just go back and cover a couple more fundamental things. So people understand there's a lot of talk about uh, a, a waiting list for emergency shelter of, across the County of about 72 people that was brought up yesterday at the social services committee. How many people can you accommodate and can you also, while you're talking about the accommodations, can you also talk, people talk about the motels. I know you and I have spoken about this before, but I, can you just very quickly map that out again so people understand your capacity? I think, first of all, when we're talking about the waiting list, I think people are referencing the by name list. Which, which means that when the county um, did their consultation around, they've determined that 78 people are experiencing homelessness. Now, of those 78 people, there's a percentage of people who I would call couch surfers. So let's say you separated from your wife and you just went and slept on your brother's couch, but after a couple months, you got your own place again and you never actually need the shelter. So those people are included in the 78. At this moment right now, with the amount of rooms and resources I have, I'm not full. So I don't believe all 78 actually would like to come here and need our services. We have some people that are sent here that say, I don't want to be there. Wait, just, I want to go over this so we're really clear. Did you just say you have empty beds? Yes. Okay, carry on. Thank you. So if you want to understand the current fiscal year resources that I have, because they change all the time and COVID is, has changed things. And this is the last year that we're getting a lot of extra boost from COVID that's allowing us to expand our resources. So we have our core funding from the county where we work in partnership to deliver this service. And right now we have 24 beds through the county contracted to provide emergency shelter. Of those 24 beds right now, I have at least four beds open, okay? Now, in addition to that, the county is providing four additional rooms for families. So families that coming through the diversion get a different service, a different type of like kid. Are they full? No. And what, what about the motels then? Then, in addition to that, through partnership with the county, we received a grant through the federal government reaching home rural and remote for an additional 10 rooms to take us until March 31st. With this grant, we also um, got a full-time outreach worker and the county has provided a full-time outreach worker. So we have two full-time outreach workers in the motels and of those additional 10 rooms, because some of those rooms are double, so it doesn't mean 10 beds. Of that, we have five double rooms and then five single rooms because we need isolation opportunity for illness, et cetera. Um, those are not full. And 
we've run out of motel rooms to purchase. So we have capacity to purchase more if the need arises. We've listened to countless people talk about a need for indoor space. We've had delegations come and talk about, we've got all these spaces, but nobody's got anywhere to go. And you've just told me you have four spaces in transition house. You have four spaces for families and you have motel rooms open. Plus you have additional money that could be used to house people. Correct. Now, one of the challenges is not many motels will work with us. We have an amazing partner who is working with us in the most flexible way to provide need work. That's Studio One. However, we require, they are amazing partners. But we only have so many rooms in that motel. So we've got almost all of them. So um, that's why we have additional money and haven't purchased the rooms. When you hear people talk about encampments, which allow people to use a dedicated outdoor space to set up tents, is that a viable solution in your mind to the homelessness problem or the homeless problem? To me, there's two issues here. There's, let's talk about what we have available and what's going on in Northumberland County and pretty specifically Coburg because it seems to end up here most often. And then what's going on globally and across the country with homelessness. So what I see is a national issue that's spilling over into our community. We haven't seen it yet. Now we're seeing it. Um, I don't think that that capitalist pressure that is, is impoverishing people is going to stop. I think we're going to see that increase. I mean, just look at the gas prices. I just got a picture from somebody who went grocery shopping. A thing of celery was $6.99. So how are we going to expect people to manage this with the low wages we're receiving here? So if somebody is homeless and they don't fit into the systems we provide, I'm not interested in criminalizing them. And I also think if we look across the country, we are seeing many regions responding with encampments. Why is that? I don't know, but if you go to Toronto, you're gonna to get out right in the middle of the street downtown and you're gonna see encampments. I appreciate these big picture thoughts, but uh, we're talking about Northumberland and we're talking about Coburg. And I wanna know outside of that, is this a viable solution in Northumberland? Should we, should councils back away with their bylaws and should we allow encampments, people sleeping in the rough, in the parks and in public spaces within Northumberland? Is that a viable solution in your mind locally? Oh, it's a hard question and it's a very political one. Um, I think there's so many layers to that question, but in my mind, the solution would be a, I don't, I hate to call it a warming room because, you know, right now we need cooling spaces, but I thought that provided very good response to some of the need we were seeing. Now, I also know as we continue on, we're going to see need increase. So our, our response might be altered based on what we learn, but right now I 
I believe something has to be put in place to support people who are, are sleeping rough. But I also think it's unrealistic to believe that you're going to provide a solution that responds to all, all the time. Like I haven't seen any other community ever completely end it. The death of Corey Trenuth draws into sharp focus so much of the dark side of the issues we are talking about today. When you heard about this death, what was your reaction? I don't know if I should admit it or not, because my reaction was I, I probably cried my eyes out for the day and then into the weekend. Um, it was very hard for me. Right now, we're not talking about this. <laughs> um, it made me realize that my very first day at Transition House was with him and one of his buddies. And I was sitting in the living room and we did what we did. I was having a coffee. It was my very first day. Both those guys I was hanging out with are gone now. Since I've got here, I've watched six people go, one of them being 17 years old. I find that to be the hardest part of the work I do. These are human beings and they need help. And I want to be able to help them more. And I think the increase in harm reduction and the decrease in stigma and the rules that we think are so important are going to make this situation even worse. Um, I love what Gabor Matei has to teach because it's the truth. This is, this is trauma leading to opioid addiction, leading to death. And I believe we need to respond differently. This is beyond us because these drugs that are being produced are so poisonous. So... I'd really like to see more street response for this issue. I would really like to see one of the things that Missy McLean brought up that I really like is I think it's called OPS. Um, it was something I didn't know much about, but it would be almost like a first aid response tent that is set up able to respond to these issues on the street. So when you have a drug poisoning situation, you don't necessarily get any support for trauma or ongoing health care. So to have those people there to continue to provide that support after they've been discharged from hospital or refuse to go to hospital, whatever, um, I think is something that could help. I don't have the answer because these drugs are like very hard to compete with. Um, and the addiction to get out of it is extremely difficult without support. So access, I even know many people who would love help, but there's nowhere they can go because we don't have any access to um, detox or addiction resources um, beyond what we can do here through conversation. You know, if somebody's ready to go to rehab, maybe in two years you'll get in. And by then, I hope you still want to quit or you're still alive. My sincere condolences to you. Thank you.
2021, there were 152 overdose instances in Northumberland, according to the health unit. From January to July 5th, there have been 64. That does not include the deaths. And sadly, the health unit doesn't track deaths by county, only by the region. So how do, does the opioid crisis exacerbate issues of homelessness? Oh, so many levels, so many levels to that. Because when you're under the influence of these very strong opioids, it may bring on drug-induced psychosis, it may bring on an inability to hold a tenancy. It may bring on uh, unresolved trauma causing behaviors. And then what happens is where do you fit when that's happening? We've deinstitutionalized, so there's nowhere to go even if you want that support. Um, the income level of the people who are usually in this situation does not provide them any option of even obtaining a tenancy. And usually, as we've seen in the community well-being plan, often there is a connection to justice, which also creates barriers to tenancy. Um, so there's so many different layers and, and where people are at. And, and also, it's dependent on what substance you choose, how that response will be you know, um, alcohol versus meth versus fentanyl, they're all very different in their outcomes. But for example, we would have a senior um, who really requires long-term care, but if he's using alcohol, he's not eligible for long-term care. So that means he will be homeless. Like there's those types of barriers that to me are unnecessary, you know, which would help us move things along. Um, so, Substances is a big issue. The other thing to consider when you're living rough and you've had a lot of trauma in your life, you can understand why someone might gravitate towards a substance. I mean, we saw in the pandemic that the LCBO became an essential service. We also saw that the federal government started mailing cannabis to your house. So we are a society that uses substances um, and these particular substances are stronger than the human. That's all. And once you get involved in that, from my experience, you will have difficulty in many areas of life, including housing. A number of times you've used the word barriers. What is the greatest barrier to you offering more help to people in need? Money, resources. Um, homelessness is, is very, it's underfunded as it is because we're not a designated community. So one of the things that's really difficult for me when I'm hearing um, a lot of the arguments because it's the community's talking about this issue is the county response. The county responds in the capacity they have because we are not a designated community. So when you look at Peterborough, they get a lot of federal funding to be able to do some extra things. Whereas over here, we're only getting that provincial funding, which is not enough to cover the issue. So Transition House, I would say, is really working hard on 
developing some fundraising strategies to help compensate for that. However, in this work, sometimes getting proactive is difficult and sometimes it's difficult to actually raise funds for this cause. Do you think enough is being done to lobby the government to give more money to deal with homelessness? Is the county or the municipalities doing enough to lobby to get you the resources you need? You know what I think? A, it's always been difficult for me to talk about homelessness in general because I got this job like a month before the pandemic. So what is normal and what is pandemic and what is response to pandemic and what is impact and aftershock and all this kind of stuff? I have to say, in working for the county, we have been supported in every way that I can think of to get where we need to be. Um, About the community coming together, I think if we were going to lobby to a provincial or federal level, what would be really great is a large group of people with like mind advocating. Right now, the the issue is rampant and it's emotional and it's difficult and a lot of people don't have understanding of the entire picture. So it's preventing, I think, the community coming together. And I don't know how, that's why I talk about the vision of the hub because I see it as a way that we can actually visualize what coming together looks like. And if we come together and we do something cool, that's gonna get the attention of the people who want us to be the leaders that can be replicated elsewhere. And when I worked at community care, I saw how amazing the healthcare sector was at building that Ontario health team. The the health minister came directly to congratulate them because it was a collaboration that wasn't seen across the province. That's what I hope for. And I hope that it's not always the county responsibility. It's all of our responsibility, every one of us. So on that note then, if people are listening, what can they do to address homelessness in your mind? What would you say to them directly that they can do right now to help solve this problem? Well, you know, obviously I'm an advocate for Transition House and I would say that we're well positioned to to be continue to be supported. And I would like to see some investment in some of the, the, the successes that we've had. But I also think the community at large could start coming together for meaningful discussion. And when that happens to have leadership, direction, minutes, follow up with the minutes, accountability, and move forward. Um, I think I have witnessed in the last two and a half years, amazing professionals, amazing ideas, amazing conversations. The challenges after that amazing conversation, we walk away and we forget about it. I'd like to see us come together, build together, and some form of leader action it and hold us accountable. It sounds very bureaucratic. If I'm sitting in my kitchen right now, though, what can I do that's going to make a difference? Well, I obviously want to say donate to Transition House. Um, But what I can say is get involved. Find out the truth. You know, go to the meetings, speak up, get educated, and come together. That's the only thing I can think of as a solution other than donating to me. (laughs) 
Ann Newman, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks for having me. That was Ann Newman, Executive Director of Transition House. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.